So we're moving back into the Gospel of Mark. And let me just tell you where we're going to go in the next few weeks and months, a couple months. Uh, we're going to take the Gospel of Mark to the end, and it's going to lead us to Easter. That's where we're going in the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to finish the Gospel of Mark. And then uh, after Easter, I'm going to do a series. And uh, the idea there is five words that you need to use that will change and transform your relationships. We're going to talk about that after Easter. But for now, we're going to jump into the Gospel of Mark. And where we left off was Jesus in the temple courts. And he was teaching. And he was causing a stir. And people were, especially the religious leaders, were kind of getting a little upset with him looking for ways to trip him up, looking for ways to get him in trouble. And so I'd love you to join me. We're going to read through uh, a, a, just a few verses here. Uh, Mark 12, verse 35, and I'm going to read through verse 44. So Mark 12, 35 through 44. You can read along with me as I read. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? So let me just stop there. So David, Jesus is going to make a point here. It's a very interesting point. He's going to refer to, and you can write this down in your notes, Psalm 110.1. He's referring to Psalm 110.1. And this is where David says, the Lord said to my Lord, um, sit down. And so Jesus is uh, bringing up a messianic passage. A messianic passage just means a passage where the nation of Israel was looking for a deliverer a savior, a, a, a Messiah to come. And so this, notice what he says. He says, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself speaking, notice, by the Holy Spirit. It, and I know I'm going to jump in. I want to make a couple points here, and then I'll read through the passage. But I want, to, I want, to make, I want you to take note to, of this because it's pretty important. So notice that what it's saying about it. It says this, and it says this in the New Testament, that people who wrote the Bible as we know it didn't just say, oh, I feel inspired to write. They were led and directed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that David was led, directed by the Holy Spirit. This is, there's a supernatural thing going on. This, this is not just a book. It's not just a holy book. It is a book that is superintended and directed by the Holy Spirit. And it's very important to understand it. That's what Jesus believed. So when you look at the Old Testament, understand that this is written uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And notice what it says. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now let's just talk about that sentence just for a minute. The Lord, that's God, or speaking of the Messiah, said to my Lord, said to me. David's saying, the Lord said to me, okay, and here's what he said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. That's a quote from Psalm 110.1. So David is saying that the Lord said to him, I am going to put your enemies under your feet. The, there's someone who's going to come that's going to do that. Now, they believed that this was a messianic passage, that a deliverer was going to come and do that. Now, notice what David says, or what Jesus says. David calls himself Lord. How can he be his son. So you see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is asking, how can a descendant of David, because that's who he's referring to, the Messiah is going to be of the line of David, a descendant of David, how can that descendant of David 
be Lord over David. That's the point Jesus is making. Now, as you read through that, you may have read, you may have, as I, and that's why I took time to do that, you may have said, you know, that was difficult. I, I see it, but it, it was a little challenging. What, essentially, what Je- the point Jesus is making is, how does David say that the Lord, this descendant, this Messiah, is going to be one of his children, one of his descendants? All right, so we're going to come back to that. But I wanted to spend a little bit of time so you understand what Jesus is doing here. He's making an interesting point. Notice the reaction of the people. The large crowd listened to him, and they were delighted. So we go on. As he taught, Jesus watched. He said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows and widows' houses for show and make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Then next, notice the next part of our passage, and we'll close with this one, verse 44. Uh, it's down to 44. Jesus sat opposite the place where the offerings were put in, uh, put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but the poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples, he said to them, Jesus, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. So the question I want to address this weekend is, how do people get the Bible so wrong? And this really came because as I was reading some uh, through Reddit and some of these other online uh, blogs and things along those lines, it seems as though many people who are against the Bible and, and don't believe in the supernatural cherry-pick the Bible and bring out the most ridiculous arguments about why they reject it. And so uh, I want to give you four reasons why I think people get the Bible so wrong. Number one, and this is from your notes, they read the Bible carelessly. They read the Bible carelessly. There, let's just be clear. There's a big group of people out there today that absolutely do not believe in the supernatural part of life. They believe that all there is is this material world. They're materialists. They believe you live and you die and you're done. Uh, they also would have to say that your emotions, when you say to your wife or to your children, I love you, is really just a chemical reaction in your brain. There's no emotion to it. It's just part of who you are. It's how you've evolved. And so uh, they would say, there is no supernatural, there is no evil, there is no spirit world, there is just the physical world. And they would look at the Bible and they say, the Bible is just a collection of fables and fiction. And here's what I found. Most of the people who make these arguments against the Bible have never read the Bible themselves. They've outrightly rejected the Bible. They've they've basically said there's no such thing as supernatural, so therefore uh, there's no reason. Now, in the passage we just read, you know the first part of that passage I just read? Jesus is saying something supernatural. He's saying a descendant of David is going to be God. That's essentially what he's saying. That's supernatural. So Jesus certainly was a wise man and a great teacher, but he is talking about a supernatural thing here. And I found that people reject the Bible because they outrightly reject supernatural, the supernatural part of life. 
And they often reject the Bible or they take passages out of context, both culturally and grammatically. Many times they'll take a passage or they'll take a verse and they'll take it out of context, either uh, the context of the, the, the passage or they'll take it out of context culturally. Culturally, many people do this. Many people today, including Christians, take the Bible out of context culturally. Let me give you an example of where we do this, and we do it all the time. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we try to say um, there's, a cult, there's, a, there's a conflict between Christianity and science because of how, as to how we interpret Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If we say we live in an early uh, universe, um, because that seems what the Bible says if you take uh, yom, uh, the, the, the Hebrew word for day, as a 24-hour period, then it seems like the universe is very young. And God would have to create it with an appearance of age. But science basically says, well, the universe is actually very old. So now we have a conflict between, between um, science and Christianity. But here's the thing. That was not anything on anyone's radar when this was written. See, it's an important thing to understand is the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. It was written to a different time and a different age where they didn't have science. They didn't ask the questions about the origin of the universe and, and how old it was. They didn't care. We bring these 21st century arguments and we try to apply them back. And what we do is we take the passage out of its historical context. And I think it's very important that we understand that. Let's be clear. If you reject the supernatural, you fail to respect the culture and the literary devices used in the Bible, you will misrepresent the Bible. And even Christians do this. Not just people who say, I don't have, I'm not a Christian, I have nothing to do with Christianity. Even those people who say there's no supernatural, yes, they, they they would say, they would misinterpret the Bible, but even Christians do. Because if you don't take seriously the culture and the language of the New Testament, or the Old Testament and the New Testament, you, you are destined to, dis, to, to uh, misinterpret the Bible. Let me give you a couple examples so we can kind of put some meat on the bones and you can understand it a little better. The Bible in some places is pretty easy to understand. It makes sense. It, 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 it makes sense. But there's other places, and this is why I spent time at the beginning of that passage where I tried to understand it. What Jesus was doing was he was claiming to be a descendant of David, but he was also claiming to be David's Lord. How can Jesus be a descendant of David but also be David's Lord? Well, he'd have to be supernatural. He'd have to be God. What does the Bible say? And we read John's Gospel in John 1. It's very clear. The Word became flesh and tabernacle dwelt among us. So God became flesh. And that's how the Messiah could be of the line of David, but also be God at the same time. So you understand that. If you understand it and you allow for the supernatural and you read it within context, what Jesus is saying makes perfect sense. But if you don't allow for the supernatural, and if you don't understand kind of what's going on here, then you're likely to find a passage like this and say, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. So sometimes the Bible is challenging us to understand, and it takes a great deal of effort to understand certain passages. Now, some of them are very clear, they're very straightforward, 
but there are some others that are difficult. Even the disciples struggled with that. You know, John 14, Jesus says, I have to go away, but when I go, I will prepare a place for you. And uh, Thomas says, well, we don't know where you're going. How will we know the way? Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and life. That's a pretty straightforward passage, but they didn't understand the fact that Jesus was, was not going to remain with them, that he was going to go away. That was a new teaching for them. They didn't understand it. The Bible contains a number of uh, different kinds of literature which can't be taken literally. The Bible often uses literary devices and figures of speech. Let me give you some examples so it makes, uh, uh, makes sense. And what I'm saying here is, you cannot come to the Bible and you cannot take it and say, it, I'm going to take it literally, everything it says, because it won't make sense. For example, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Is he saying that he took care of sheep? No, we, he didn't. And there's no reference in Scripture that he did that. It's a figure of speech. But he also says he's the Lamb of God. Well, which is he, the Lamb of God or is he the good shepherd? He's both. They're word pictures. He said he was the true vine. Is he saying, well, I'm really a vine? No, no, he didn't mean that. He uses parables. He tells stories. And he uses parables to, to kind of cover up for a period of time his mission and his, his work and what he was doing. He didn't want everybody to understand because he had to time out because he had a limited amount of time and he had a mission to accomplish and he couldn't allow too much information to go out. So he would tell stories and parables and many times he would tell these parables and uh, he did it in a way to kind of cover the, cover the truth about who he was doing, what he, who he was and where, what he was doing. Number two, the Bible was translated to our English from uh, Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament, mostly Hebrew, and then Koine Greek in the New Testament. So, it's, it's, so you're reading an English translation of gr either Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> now, if you've ever taken a language, you realize that it's very, virtually impossible sometimes to translate it literally from one language to another because there's, there's word pictures, there's literary uh, devices, there's, there's all these different things that can't be translated. There's no way to translate it. Have you ever you know, ha had a situation where you tried to translate something to another culture, and you say, oh, how am I going to explain that, you know? And, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Sometimes that happens because, and by the way, it's not just translating the language into English. It's translating the culture. It's, and I would say it's even harder sometimes to translate the culture because here's what we do. Think about this the next time you read the Bible. We often read the Bible, and we pick it up, and we take our 21st century culture and we take it back to the, the, the Bible and we say, boy, I don't, know if, I don't know why they did that back then. What are we doing? We're taking our culture and we're trying to apply it back then. And again, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't, wasn't written to us. It's really important you understand that principle. Um, here's the thing. If the Bible was written to the Vikings, would we expect there to be violence and wars and different things uh, in the culture and describing some of them? Well, of course we would. So when we read the Old Testament, we see violence. We understand it was a different time. It wasn't like our time. But we come with our 21st century and we say, well, shame on them. And we kind of critique them from our perspective. Let me just say this. There are going to be people, if the Lord tarries, two or 300 years from now, that's going to look at us and we're going to look primitive to them. 
because that's what we do. We look down on cultures that came, come before us. And all I'm saying is understand that you carry that baggage with you when you read the Bible. We need to study and respect the culture of the Bible. If you think translating the language is difficult, translating culture, culture is far more difficult. So the first question is, are you reading the Bible carefully and thoughtfully? So, sec- so the second point is this. We need to read the Bible uh, Some people read the Bible blindly. That's how they read it wrong. Too often we read the Bible and we we read it with eyes for others. (laughs) We say, oh, this would be, you know, you're you're reading the Bible or maybe you're hearing a message and you say, oh, I wish such and such was here. They really need that right now. Oh, I wish, I'm going to send this sermon or I'm going to send this passage because they really need to hear this. I mean, I don't need it, but they need it, you know, and we, we, we do that. And, and this, is what it's, this is what Jesus said. Notice what he says. Again, by the way, when I read this passage, notice the language he uses. He's not being literal here, okay? Now let me read it to you. This is, write this reference down, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He says, Why do you look the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now is Jesus saying that people are actually walking around with a plank in their eyes? I got a four by four in my eye. Doc, how do I get it out? No, he's using, he's using language. He's using, uh, you know, a different kind of language. And he says, how can you see your brother? Let me, let me take the, say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. And notice what he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is he saying? He's saying, you think you see clearly. And you think you see the sins of the people around you. But have you done a self-examination first? Because it may be, it's possible, that you're doing the same thing. Worse. Huh? That's the point Jesus is making, right? <laughs> He's saying, little tiny speck of sawdust, you see that? You don't see the plank in your own eye. You're doing the same thing. Have you ever done that before? Have you been judgmental of people? You know, oh, that's a, you know, that's a horrible driver. And your wife's sitting there going, eh, you know, there's a mirror there. Why don't you take a look in the mirror? Because you're a lot worse. And they don't say it, but... Here's the point. We often read the Bible with the wrong focus. We read it with binoculars. We're looking at other people. Yes, that would be good for them. Oh, this would be great. This book would be good. This passage would be good. We do all of that. Instead of saying, is it a mirror? Is it a mirror? Look at what James says. James says this. This is uh, James chapter uh, 1, verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word. By the way, can I stop for a minute? And I know I'm, jack, I'm jerking and stuff a little bit tonight as far as, I'm sorry about that, but there's so many thoughts coming through my head right now. This is such an important topic, and I think it's so important that we understand that. As you're listening right now, are you good soil? Are you hearing the word of God? Or are you saying, what could have been said better, you know, whatever, you know, I, I wonder what I should get to eat after this message um, notice what he says here do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom 
and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So notice what James is saying. Very important principle. He's saying that the Word of God, this supernatural book that God has supernaturally intended and gotten to us, as we read the Word of God, it shows us our hearts. It shows us our souls. It shows us our attitudes. It shows us things that we can't see on our own. Some of you, before you came uh, to this place, you looked into a mirror. How's my hair? Oh, I better run a comb through it. Oh, you know, I got stuff on my teeth, you know? I mean, you, 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 you do that because you want to see things that you can't see. And what he's saying in James is this. When you look at the Word of God, it exposes things in your life, in your heart, that you need to see, but you can't see. And he says, but it, once it exposes it, you have to do something. You have to you say, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to comb my hair. I'm going to get that piece of broccoli out of my teeth. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. But he says, do not walk away after seeing it and doing nothing. Don't do that. So you see what he's saying here. And sometimes we have, so the question we're asking is this. Are you reading the Bible with binoculars? Oh, the Bible is for others, not for me. Or are you looking at the Bible as a mirror? Jesus said over and over, don't, don't do that. Don't take the Bible and make it for someone else. Look at your own heart through the Scripture. Here's the third way that people misread the Bible. They read the Bible frivolously. They read the Bible frivolously. Um, Jesus says in our passage, watch out for the teachers of the law. Now, what's the problem with the teachers of the law? Well, they know the Bible really well. I mean, they could quote it. They memorized it. They studied it. It was their, it was their, their job. But here's the problem. They, this Bible knowledge, and the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, it makes you proud, it leads to pride. And I've talked to Christians who have a great knowledge of the Bible, but show very little fruit of the Spirit. I was reading a post on Facebook this week where somebody was lambasting, this one Christian was lambasting this other Christian, and, and they were like, you know, just knocking them down and saying, you know, like, you know, how dare you say this about God and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, I don't know if I agree with what you're saying, but I know this. I don't agree with how you're saying it. There's no fruit of the Spirit there. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. There was none of that. Hey, how did you miss that? It's in the same Bible the last time I checked. Pride puffs up. Jesus told the story in Luke 18. It says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. Yeah, he really needs it. Right? You see how that happens, Right? He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Any of you do that? Let's, let's just be clear. This is, this is a righteous person. He's fasting twice a week. I don't do that. He, what does it say? He gives a tenth of all I get. I, I have been doing that. I'm not saying I'm bragging, but I do. I, I get, we give a tenth. We give a tenth. We feel tithing, giving a tenth 
or more is, is part of what a Christian should do. So good for you. But he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Some people have equated Bible knowledge with spiritual maturity. They may go together, but not all the time. I've met many people who know the Bible really well who are very spiritually immature. This man, this sinner, probably didn't know the Bible at all. But he did know what he needed to know, that he was a sinner and he needed a Savior. He needed forgiveness. And Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One left forgiven. The second way that people treat the Bible frivolously is they, they speculate. A lot of Christians like to do that. How many Christians love to speculate about the Bible instead of obediently obeying, obeying what they already know? Um, they, love to, they love to talk about this and talk about that and what about this and what do you think about that? And, and you know, that's one of my uh, digs. Next weekend we're going to talk about, here's where we're going to go next weekend. Jesus is going to talk about the end of the world end times. And some of you go, end times, finally, we can speculate about when Jesus is going to come back and who the mark of the beast is and what the number 666 means and all, all that stuff. And you walk out saying, it's kind of an interesting uh, lecture and I don't really have to do anything about it. It's all speculation. Paul says to Timothy this, this is 1 Timothy 1, 3, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, and Paul is, is teaching young Timothy, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's word, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. I don't know if there's ever been a time where Christians are more interested in speculating and talking about frivolous side issues and not spending time obeying the core issues. What are the core issues? To love God, to love others, to deal with your sin, to be a person of the word, and to obediently obey what God has shown you. Sometimes Christians treat the Bible as, a, and this is the third one, as a source of advice rather than the word of God. Have you ever had your kids do that? Where you're talking to them and you're saying, okay, I want you to go clean your room. And they go, well, I don't feel like it. And, you know, I don't think it's that bad. And, you know, I, it's like they're going, thank you for that input, uh, parent. Um, I'll take it under advisement, but I don't think I feel like doing that. And you go, oh, okay. Well, maybe I need to reframe the question. I'm the parent, you're the kid, go in there and do that now. Right? I'm not, this is not a suggestion. I am your parent lord. <laughs> right? Have you ever felt that way as a parent? I have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? I never feel guilty playing that card as the kids were growing up. Never felt guilty playing that card because I'm the parent. 
And how many times have I said that? I'm the parent, you're not. One day you may be, and you can do whatever you want with your kids. But for now, I am your God. <laughs> look, at, look at what uh, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3. He says, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their, to, their, they, to suit their own de- desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We are probably have never been at a time more where people don't want to hear what God wants to say. They want to hear what they want to hear. Here's the point. God isn't your advisor. He's your Lord. When God says jump, you say how high. Now why should you do that? Because he's Lord and he's oppressing and he's powerful and we should be afraid of him. No, because Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and died and gave his life. And when he says for you to do something, how can you say no? How can you say, I'll think about it? Can you imagine if Jesus, the Father, the the Trinity were conversing? What are we going to do? We'll take it into advisement whether salvation is going to come. Think about it. So are you reading the Bible as a source of advice or as God's holy word? Here's the last one. We'll close with this one. They read the Bible heartlessly. They read the Bible heartlessly. So Jesus tells a story about this woman. And she's she's putting her money into the temple treasury. And this is something you would do. Uh, You would go and put your offering into the temple treasury. And uh, there were many, many people who were putting a lot more money in than she was. They were putting more money than probably she'd have in her in her lifetime and they're just putting it in and it was nothing to them because it was out of their surplus they had extra they had more than enough and this this poor woman took everything that she had and out of her need she had nothing more to give she gave everything she put everything in there everything in the tent she she gave sacrificially it hurt it caused her to rely upon god for her basic needs she gave and had nothing left And the others gave out of their excess. Now, here's the point. I don't think this woman probably had a whole lot of knowledge about the Bible and about the teachings of the Old Testament. I think she knew what God desired as far as giving. She gave all she had. She didn't give 10%. She gave everything. She gave it all. And Jesus says, makes an incredible statement. He says, this woman gave more than anyone else that day. Now, anybody watching would go, what are you talking about? She gave two, two little coins, nothing. Jesus, she gave everything she had. Everyone else gave out of their excess. They had extra. They gave a tip. She gave everything. Her giving demonstrated her faith in God. The others giving demonstrated that they were trusting in their own riches. They gave enough, but not enough that they would have to rely upon God. Let me ask you something. How important is money in your life? This is where obedience comes in. How important is money in your life? I I think one of the things that keeps us from trusting God is when we have enough money where we don't have to trust in God, we feel better than when we say, 
God, I'm going to give you, an, I'm going to give you more than I normally give. I'm going to give sacrificially to the point that you're going to have to come in here somehow and you're going to have to help me. I'm going to have to rely upon you. Because that's uncomfortable and none, none of us really wants to do that. But that's obedience, right? The point is this. When you know what you're supposed to do, and you choose not to do it. That's one thing. But when you know what you're supposed to do and you do it, that's called obedience. And that's what this woman did. Now why, why, does, why is money, why does Jesus bring up this woman in the offering? At one point Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's a gauge. It's like a gauge in your car. And, and Jesus knew that the more money you had, the more you would trust in money. And that's why he basically says it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? Because you don't, you don't need God. You don't need to rely upon God. You don't look to God. You don't wake up every day and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it today without you. Say, God, I'm, I think I got things covered. You know, you could take the day off. We only call him when we need him. We're sick. There's nothing we can do about it. Or Let me ask you a couple questions. We'll close the time together. Whether you're here live or online or at one of the campuses, what is it that God has been calling you to start doing? Has God called you to forgive somebody, but you just say, no, they don't deserve it? Um, has God called you to give sacrificially? Are you giving at all? Have you even thought about it? Are you serving with your gifts? Are you using your gifts to serve the body of Christ? Are you getting into his word consistently? Listen, there's ne until 1611, when the invention of the, the, the printing press when we have the printout of the Bible, the people, the pe people never had the Bible in their hands. We, we not only, and shame on us sometimes, we not only have the Bible in our language, we have multiple good English translations. We have it on our phone. We can listen to it. <laughs> we have so many versions and so many study notes and so many opportunities. There's really no excuse for us not to. So what is it that God has been calling you to start doing? Secondly, what is it that God has been calling you to stop doing? Maybe you have a besetting sin. There's some ongoing sin in your life that you just keep going, and, and God says, when are you going to stop? When are you going to stop making excuses? When are you going to stop being, can I say it, lazy? I mean, we're, we're diligent in, in these other areas of life, but when it comes to our spiritual area, we're very lazy about it. Lackluster. I was thinking that day, if, if, uh, if, if, if Jesus were to choose his team... You know, and, and as he goes through his life, there's different people he comes in contact with in the gospel. And there's certain people that I think that Jesus would say, 
I want you on my team. <laughs> and I think about this woman who put the two coins in. And I, 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 you know, if he was picking a team, I could see him saying to one of his disciples, go bring her to me. She's going to start at first base. I want her on my team. What spiritual aspirations have you put off? And you say, well, someday. No, someday means today. It needs to be today. So what I want to do, and I want to just really very quick, it's going to be very, very super quick. The last thing I want you to hear is, in this point is this. Are we allowing the Bible to speak to our heart? Is it getting through? Are we really hearing what Jesus has to say to us? So how do you do that? How do you do that? Here, let me give you a few steps. Number one, understand that this book, when you open it up, is not just a book. It is a supernatural book. It will speak to your heart. It will reveal your soul if you allow it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin, if you don't know where to begin, begin with the Gospel of John. Just read one chapter. And just even if you just read a few verses every day, just read and just, and here's what you pray. You pray before and after you read. And before you read, you say, God, speak to me through your holy word today. And then you, you close and you say, God, help, the, help your word to be a mirror to my soul. Help me not to forget what I've seen about myself, something you want me to do, something you want me to stop doing, something you want to remind me of, something you want me to know about you, something you want me to know about how you love me and care for me. Whatever it is, help me not to forget that. Help that, me to carry that today. And then number three, obey what you already know. Some of you are here and you say, Pastor, I don't know this Bible at all. I don't understand some of it. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rookie. I use the word rookie because sometimes we say a new, you know, a, you know new in Christ. And, but you know, rookies only have one rookie year, right? <laughs> then they move on, right? So you may be, in your, you may be a rookie, but you, you know enough. And, and here's the thing. It's not how much of the Bible you know. It's how much of the Bible are you obeying. Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I've called you to do, right? And then number four, be consistent, make it a habit. You have to do this on a regular basis if it's going to make a difference in your life and your heart. How are you doing in that? Well, I told you where we're going to go next week. We're going to be in Mark 13, and Jesus is going to explain the end times to us. So we'll dive into that next weekend. But let me pray with you. Father, help us to get the Bible right. Because so often people and us, if we're, we're honest, we get the Bible wrong a lot. For many way, reasons and in many ways. Help us to, most of all, be obedient to what we already know. Help us to, to treat your Bible, uh, your word, with uh, respect and thoughtfully and carefully help us to be uh, regular students of your word thank you for the many tools and teachers that you've given to us today to help us understand it but most of all father help us to allow it to be a mirror to our hearts our souls so we can see things that you want to show us that only you can show us that we need to see 
And Father, for those that may be here and just don't know where to start, I pray that they would just start with John and begin a journey with you. And before you know it, they will find that their life is being transformed little by little, day by day, by allowing your word to change them one day at a time. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word, your holy word. It's not advice. It comes from a holy God, our Lord. And most of all, Father, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly became the descendant of David, the Messiah, but also became the Savior of the world to all who call upon the Lord. For that, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.